and so we'd been going for 48 hours non-stop. You know, we heard that the pilot was on board at 6am and we're like, okay, so we have enough time to have a shower and get our stuff ready and get downstairs to disembark. And then all of a sudden it was, I think it was the captain, I think he said to us, oh, you're coming with us to South Africa. And we're like, what? <laughs> and it was just like you were so tired and everything just became so emotional because you couldn't get off and you hadn't, as I said, we hadn't, we hadn't prepared to be on for this long. And it was, I was just, a, it was just a crying bunch of mess. Hello and welcome to Life on the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling stories of rural and regional women across Australia. I'm Sky Manson, your host for this episode. It's fair to say that 2020 has been a tough year for most, certainly an extraordinary year like we've never seen before. But for today's guest, young dairy farmer Talia McSwain from Bustleton in southwestern Western Australia, it's been a shocker. Earlier this year, she took a job as a stockwoman escorting sheep and cattle on a live export vessel. She'd done it before, and she should have been home to the family dairy farm within a matter of weeks, but things went wrong. Complications with COVID-19, which is still unclear to Talia, saw herself and the crew on board stranded on the vessel for an unexpected 179 days. Talia says this took her to the depths of her mental strength just to get through the days. But it doesn't end there. Shortly after she arrived home, finally, in Western Australia, one of the crew members tested positive to COVID-19, whipping up a West Australian media frenzy. Also while on board, she lost some of her colleagues in a nightmarish tragedy when the live export vessel they were working on capsized in the South China Sea. The good news is that she's home now. In this episode, you'll hear just how weird that is for Talia and how she's able to spend her days now. But as we usually do, we go right back to the beginning and rewind to her childhood days on the farm. He'd always be going around with Dad. So Mum was a travel agent um, before she came out to the farm. So, um, you know, from six months of age, I used to go with Dad in the ute and, you know, he'd just drive around and check fences and check the stock and, you know, normally what a farmer would do and um, he'd always go milking and then I'd go and be with Grandma and Granddad while he milks and then, yeah, they'd do a swap and I'd go home. Because some families, you know, during harvest, they don't see their husbands or their fathers for, you know, days and weeks, but, you know, on a... On this type of farm, yeah, you can always be with dad either in the yards or in the dairy or, you know, if he needs you, he'll always find you. So did you always want to be a farmer? Did you know that you would end up back at the farm? (laughs) Yeah, that's always been my end goal, but I've, you know, dabbled my way into other industries and tried a lot of other things, but I always seem to come back here. So stuck in my roots, I suppose. Why is that? I don't know. It's, I think it's just, um, you know, I know how farms work. Well, I know how this farm works and I know exactly where, um, what I'm really good at. It's just a generational farm and, you know, I'd like to be able to take it on one day. But if it's, the dairy industry is such a, such a hard industry to be in. Um, you know, a bottle of water at the shops costs more than a litre of milk and you're like, hmm, 
you know, is that, is that really, is there any profit in dairy farming? But at the same time, there's so many different avenues that you can create profit on a dairy farm. So yeah, it's always about adding and yeah, just finding, finding something in every day. So tell me, what does your average day look like now as a, someone that's um, a full-time worker on the farm? Um, each day is completely different. You have it planned out, but, you know, something always happens. Um, so normally, you know, you get up and you milk the cows in the morning and then you've got your calves to feed and then some days you need to clean out the calf pens and put new straw in it. Um, there's cows and calves to bring in, fixes to, fences to fix, water troughs to fix, um, it's hay season here, so we've got the boys on the tractors. Um, yeah, there's always paperwork. Um, and you can always find something to fill in your day. And then milking in the afternoon and calves to feed in the afternoon as well. What time does the day start for you when you're milking? Um, I normally am in the shed by um half past three but the cows don't necessarily get into the yards until five depending on which paddocks they're in and you've got to set up the machine first and that's crazy it's a big day (laughs) that is so early so when do you sleep um if i'm in bed by 8 30 at night i feel like it's it's been a good day do you get to bed at 8 30 though or Towards the end of the day, do you just carry on life like a normal person that doesn't have to get up at 3 a.m. in the morning? Um, it depends. Uh, you know, if I wanted to go somewhere or do something else, um, I'll just, I'll just, I'll still be a human, but at the same time, I'm like always so conscious about when can I go to bed because, you know, I do have to get up. But, uh, you know, life's for living and you can't just always worry about you know, what time you have to get up or when you have to go to work because, you know, this, like being on this farm, it's such an intensive program that, you know, friendships and social life are often pushed aside but yet, but at the same time you've got to try and fit all those things in because it's, you know, work-life balance and without without seeing friends and having a social life, it gets a bit um, boring and monotonous. So you always have to try and make time for your friends and see people they haven't seen in a while and just go out and have some fun. What's it like being up that early in the morning? I do love having that early start because you can fit so much, so much stuff into your day by getting up early. But then at the same time, at the same time, you got to, sometimes you just want to have a little bit of a sleep in. Yeah, totally. Now you've had such a massive year. How would you describe this year for you in a few words? Um, challenging, but also very appreciative and um, grateful. Grateful for those people who stuck behind me the whole the whole way through, and um, and yeah, it was just something out of the blue, and you couldn't control anything that had happened, so you just kind of had to roll with it. So, for people that don't know, can you explain? what's happened to you this year so um apart from being a dairy farmer i'm also working as a onboard stock person for the live export industry which means we travel with the livestock when they go from australia to their destination country so i jumped on a vessel in april and i didn't get off that vessel until october we got stuck um on the boat for six months and without being able to return home. Why? 
Because um, our destination country that we uh, came to had an overwhelming amount of COVID cases overnight, which means they shut every everything down. They went into complete lockdown and there was nothing that anyone could do to get us off. And, um, yeah, we couldn't... The ship wasn't returning back to Australia for a while, so we just... <laughs> had to stay on board until we could find an alternative path to get home, but we didn't. So we returned home when the ship returned home. So it just took so much longer than what you thought, but tell me a little bit about that time when you got to, and what was the country again, when you got to the destination and you realised that you couldn't get off and that you would be stuck. Like it was, that must have been frightening. So we we got to Qatar. Qatar was our destination country that we were meant to disembark and fly home. Yeah, it it was frightening. It was um, I was very very unprepared. Like at one point, I didn't even have enough personal items or sanitary items to, you know, didn't I didn't know how long we were going to be out at sea, and I thought I'm on a boat full of men. <laughs> the hospital didn't have any feminine products. And I just, I just had no idea what, what we could do about it. That was probably my main worry. Like I knew I was safe and I knew that I couldn't get COVID at that time. And um, yeah, it was just a, just a handful of emotions that ran through you. Like you were so angry that you couldn't get off, but you were so tired because you just finished unloading all the animals off the boat and you just, and you couldn't do anything and I think that's what made you so frustrated that you couldn't do anything no matter what you tried. There was nothing to be able to be done so you kind of just had to, had to face the facts and take one day at a time. Tell me a little bit about that day, what you'd actually been doing before you received the news and what happened when you did receive the news. So we were unloading our final amount of sheep and cattle off the boat and um, we finished discharging the animals at about, must have been 5am. And so we'd been going for 48 hours nonstop. And, you know, we heard that the pilot was on board at 6am and we're like, okay, so we have enough time to have a shower and get our stuff ready and, you know, get down, get downstairs to disembark. And then all of a sudden it was someone's, I think it was the captain, I think he said to us, oh, you're coming with us to South Africa. And we're like, what? <laughs> and it was just like you were so tired and everything just became so emotional because you couldn't get off and you hadn't, as I said, you hadn't, we hadn't prepared to be on for this long. And, um, yeah, you were just, it was, I was just, a, it was just a crying bunch of mess. And how did you tell your parents? What was their reaction? To be honest, I don't, can't even remember that far back. I just said, you know, I, they knew that I was safe and they knew that I would be coming home sometime and there wasn't anything that they could do about it. So they also, like me, just had to take it on the chin and just take it as it goes. At that time... How long did you think you would be on the boat? So we thought that we'd, um, you know, go from Qatar to South Africa, load and then 
go back. That that was the original plan. So we were like, okay, we'll try and get off the next time we go back to the Middle East. So that would have been, um, so it was an eight-day sail down to South Africa and a 12-day sail back. So, you know, three weeks. We thought we'd, you know, just be there for three weeks. And, uh, yeah, that wasn't what happened. So how long did you end up being on the boat? All up, it was 179 days. <sighs> That's such a long time. How does it make you feel when you say that? To be honest, I can't even remember what it was like being on the ship. Like I have no, you just, I can't even explain it. But it was, I just know that it took everything that I had to be able to get through not being able to come home until we actually got off the ship. And what do you mean by that mentally? Yeah, yeah, it was it was such a struggle because, you know, you had, you couldn't get off, you couldn't do anything, you just had all of this ocean around you, you had your room and you had the ship, which was, you know, 182 metres by 33 metres wide and that's, and that's all you had and you, there was such a language barrier between your, myself and the crew um, and I had nothing, like I didn't prepare myself with a laptop or with enough books or, or anything like that. So it was, it was hard going. It was, it was really hard. What did you do each day? Were there any jobs like maintenance jobs that you were required to be done on the ship or did you just have free reign? I had free range. The crew did all the maintenance, did all, did all that they had to do, um, instructed by the captain and the chief. But for us, the two Australians on board, we had nothing to do, but when we got to South Africa, we were so lucky to be able to, um, you know, get stuff from ashore. So I ended up getting a laptop there and a few more books and, you know, some personal items. And, um, yeah, that's, that's probably one of the things that saved us. How, how for, did they arrive? How did you get those things? So I had spoken to... Um, one of my friends who's a vet that works for the company that we were that we were sailing with and I said look this is what's happened this is where we are I need this and this and this and she managed to sort that out I don't know how but she was a godsend and um, yeah she managed to be able to get it to the port and the port um, popped it on the ship and I was very very grateful so what did you do each day? Like how did you feel the endless hours? Um, because we stayed in South Africa for quite a long time, we were able to use um, this, the Telstra signal from land. So I managed to somehow do all of my university semester in, yeah, the five weeks that we stayed there. I can say that for five weeks. It's a bit longer than that. And, um, yeah, managed to be able to do all my assignments, do my lectures, and that's that's probably one of the things that helped me a lot. Like I was I was going back to uni this semester and I kept thinking, I oh, will be home in two weeks. We'll be home in two weeks. And just kept going and going and going. And, yeah, we were – I got all my university semester done and I finished one of my exams the other day, so – yeah, in, in the space of while we sat in South Africa, I got a whole semester done. We'll be back with Talia in just a minute, but now a note from our sponsors. 
Have you ever wanted to ask about a new medication at the chemist but don't want everyone else to overhear your conversation? Maybe you need a new symptom diagnosed that's popped up at 10 o'clock at night. After noticing that locals couldn't always get help when they needed, a husband and wife pharmacist team in Walker in New South Wales created Farm Online, where you can get indispensable advice anywhere in Australia. Experienced pharmacists are available online now for private, individualised video consultations when and where you need it. Just book a time that suits you at farmonline.com.au and take the time to discuss your health and medication with the experts. Farm Online, P-H-A-R-M Online, also has a podcast called Indispensable where you can learn more about the health topics that interest you. You said you mentioned that it was so unbelievably challenging in a in a mental sense. What kind of things did you do to keep yourself in check? Um, I did speak with a lot of my friends. So yeah, as I said, when we were sitting in South Africa, we could use the the Telstra signal from land, and that's that's probably another one of the most things that saved us to be able to use our phone. Um, for the time that we sat in South Africa um, to be able to connect with those in Australia and, um, you know, my family and my friends. And um, I did start yoga and I did try to do some exercise, but I just mentally didn't have enough stamina to push myself to do a workout. Like I do, you know, some yoga, but that was just you and the floor and... You didn't have to think about anything where, you know, I feel like a workout, you have to do this and then go there. And anyway, that was, that got a bit much for me at some, at some point. So yeah, I did, did a lot of yoga. I checked yeah. in with my friends. What about sleeping? Did you find you slept a lot? Um, not, not, not out of the ordinary. I felt, you know, some days. I did, I did stay in bed all day, but I didn't necessarily sleep. I just lied there. Were you scared at any time, fearful? I mean, you were, were you the only female on board? I'm right in saying that, aren't I? Yeah, I was the only female on board. And um, I wasn't scared. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was just, no, it wasn't, wasn't scary. It was just, you were just there. It was stuck. Did you develop some funny relationships, some good relationships, despite the language barrier? Yeah, yeah. There were some really, really nice people on board and um, and I did learn a lot of things from them and I think they learned a lot of things from me as well. And, um, yeah, it was nice to be able to just chat with some of them every day and I think that also helped them as well because some of them had been on there for, you know, 17 months. Um, and they hadn't seen their families and stuff like that. So we were all pretty much in the same boat, you know, literally. Um, but, yeah, that also helped them as much as it helped myself. While you were on board, there was the terrible tragedy of the live export uh, vessel capsizing in the East China Sea. What... Um, well, I remember seeing the news and thinking, oh, my goodness, I hope that's not Talia. I'm sure many, many people thought that but what was it like for you receiving that um 
information on top of everything else that you were battling through? It was such a gut-wrenching feeling, you know, that could have been any of us on any boat. And um, my friend's brother was on that boat, actually. And um, I seen that come up and I, you know, sent a message to her and I said, you know, what's this about? Like, I didn't know if it was actually a joke or what, what have happened. And she goes, oh, I, have, I don't know anything about it. And then it started to come over the news and social media a lot more and I was like, okay, maybe, maybe this is not a joke. And then I kept in touch with her and, um, you know, our whole life, live export community just went into such a state of shock. It was, it was horrific and it was traumatic and, like, I don't even know what they would have felt like or, or how, how they must have, yeah, how they must have dealt with what, what was going to occur. I just, I just hope that they got to be able to tell their loved ones that they did love them. But, you know, there's still hope that they're out there and they're alive. But at the end of the day, if, if it is the worst case scenario, I just hope that, yeah, they got to be able to tell their families, um, you know, they loved them. But, yeah, it was, it, it was so awful to hear that, you know, any uh, our group of stockies and crew and the live, the cattle on board, um, that this event had occurred, it was so, so awful. So how did that make you feel? As you, yeah, how, how did that make you feel knowing that you had still had to have a voyage, um, you know, all, all the way from South Africa back to Australia? Yeah, I was pretty adamant that I didn't want to sail. Um, I, I knew I was in safe hands and the, and the seas that we were going on were, were pretty safe. But at the same time, I, you know, I was just, it was such an awful accident to happen and, you know, if I could have gone home a different way, I would have. But that didn't, that didn't, that wasn't the case. But, um, yeah, I was like, I don't want to sail. <laughs> and did you try not to? Yeah, we tried to get off the ship about five separate times. But every time we came close to being able to get off, something would happen. Or, yeah, it, it didn't go our way. Mm. Far out. That's just, you know, it's so tricky, so hard to have to have dealt with that. Did you five or seven times? You, you can see why it must be, must have been very difficult to keep your hopes up. You know, at one point we were like, you know, is it even worth it trying to get off? And we were, we were never going to get a guaranteed seat on a plane. Like, so you could play, you could pay for it and get to the airport and then, They'd be like, oh, no, sorry, your seat's taken or something. So, you know, at the end of the day, we, you know, the vet and myself sat down and said, look, it's probably not worth trying to go home in case we do not board the plane and we could, get, we could have got stuck in, you know, South Africa or we could have got stuck in Paris or we could have got stuck in the Middle East. Um, yeah, with a lot of support from a lot of different people and a lot of different companies, I think, us staying on was probably the best thing that that could have come from it. So tell me about what happened when you got the news that you would be making your way home. Yeah, so we did a loaded passage back from South Africa to the Middle East. 
then we had a crew change and then we got home. Um, we started sailing home and I was seasick for seven out of 14 days on that ship because it was such a empty, it was, it was an empty ship and they were trying to wash it. So <laughs> the front of the ship started out of the water um, more than the back of the ship and oh, it was horrendous. I was just vomiting all day. And then, um, yeah, we started to come into Fremantle and um, <laughs> my request to get back into West Australia got denied. And I was like, oh, my God, what else could happen? Why? And then, um, I don't know. I have no idea. So the vet, he was able to get straight off and fly to Sydney and I had to stay there for another another two days before I was allowed to get off. I don't, I don't know why. And also rewind, I'm so, I remember seeing your photos on Instagram, I think, of land, of Fremantle. What was that like? Yeah, it was, it was such a nice feeling to be able to, you know, see land for, the, for a very long time and knowing that we were going to get off and jump on um, to Australia soil, it was, it was probably one of the best feelings ever. Oh, I can see it in your face. It's so... <laughs> So wonderful. You're like, yes, I've finally, it, it has happened. Yeah, chat was closed, but it didn't close. It, something else happened after that. What happened when you disembarked? So we were put into self-isolation straight away. Well, I was anyway. The vet had gone back to New South Wales and he was part of the New South Wales Police Department and I had nothing, had nothing to do with us. Um, so we got back and I had to go straight uh, from the ship to my home and self-isolate for 72 hours because at that stage they classed maritime crew as port to port as quarantine time. And so to finish my 14 days quarantine, I had to do another three days. Um, And then on the third day at lunchtime, news broke out that there was a positive COVID case on the ship that I just came off. And I thought, when is this going to be over? So they extended my quarantine period for 14 days um, and made me go get a COVID test. And then I asked to be transferred to a uh, hotel quarantine facility in Perth. Um, you know, that was just for my own safety. And because, at, because if you quarantined at home, you had to have your own bathroom in your own bedroom if there was someone else living in your house. So that was all fine. And because our house is normally used um, for workers to have lunch and stuff, I was like, no, I'll go back up to Perth for the safety of them. And like I tested negative. I tested negative the whole six times I got tested. So I was negative the whole time. And then, yeah, spent my last few days in, of quarantine in Perth. And then, yeah, finally got home for the second time. A few questions. How could there be a COVID case on the ship? That was, that was one of the first things we asked. We had no idea because the company who puts, employs the crew has a very strict policy. So they, all crew had three different COVID tests before they got back on the ship. So before they left their country, once when they got into Bart, Dubai and once before they left hotel quarantine so you know there's been so many conversations about where did it actually come from and um, you know I was talking to the general manager of um, the company that sailed with us and he said it may have come from 
the groceries that came alongside the ship from Dubai. So not necessarily from any of the, the crew as such, but, you know, just that hand um, contamination and, yeah, my, look, we have no idea. That, that was such a big question all of us asked, but it's, it's done now. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember reading about it and it was being compared to the Ruby Princess of the West. What was the media treatment like for you? It was horrendous. I, that was probably the lowest day out of all of those days I've ever had. Um, you know, Channel 9 and Channel 10 actually came down to the farm and talked to my father about, you know, COVID and what's it like. Um, having a daughter who's who's been a close contact and um, then they interviewed mum and, like, just stood outside the farm just filming and, like, they they pretty much personalised or individualised me and victimised me and I felt, I felt so vulnerable because at the same time I hadn't done anything wrong and I, and I tested negative enough times and... Um, yeah, I was self-isolating, did exactly what WA police had asked me to do and then, um, like, I just felt very humiliated. The mayor, he was even interviewed and he said, oh, she's a, she's a um, threat to the community. <laughs> and I was like, mate, I'm in self-isolation and I've tested negative so I don't understand how I could have been a threat when I, I hadn't seen anyone and I hadn't done anything. I just got off the boat and drove straight back home like I was instructed to do. And was it a storm in a teacup? Did it blow over as quickly as it came to be? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. You know, Dad said to me, oh, don't worry about it because tomorrow there'll be another news story. And, and he was right. But at the same time, I didn't know how many people had seen the news or how many people had read social media. And, and, I, and I hated not knowing that. And especially when I first came back home or when I came back home the second time after quarantine and all that, I didn't. I didn't want to go down to the grocery store or anything in case, you know, someone recognised me and someone had something to say. And, and that, was, that was pretty hard for the first, first couple of days. But at the end of the day, like, I knew that I was negative and I did exactly what police had told me to do. So there was nothing more that I could do. And when <laughs> do you reckon you started to feel excited about the fact that you were home and you could begin normal life again? Um, I still haven't got that far, to be quite honest. I still, like, Dad threw me straight into the dairy, straight into the cows and calves. Um, and, like, I've seen a few of my friends, but I haven't seen them all yet. And I've gone back to the gym once. But I feel like once I start to get a proper routine and I know exactly where I fit in, that, that'll be when I start to start to feel normal again. But at the same time, it's just, it's so nice to be back with Mum and Dad and, and my friends and my partner and um, the farm. So it is nice to be back, but there's still such a, such a long way to go yet. Did you cry when you saw your mum and dad for the first time? I thought I was going to, but uh, no. Because, um, you know, I had told them that I was home when I, when I first got home and, you know, dad drove past because I was in self-isolation and we waved at each other out the window. And then um, I didn't tell them I was coming home the next time because there was a there was a bit more drama to quarantine after after all that, and um, I pretty much had to turn on the waterworks to try and get out of quarantine because, like, I'd done my fourteen days and they kept me in there for another 
uh, nearly 72 hours. And I was like, I have done my quarantine period. Like, please let me go home. And Dad's like, oh, well, you won't be let out till Monday because no one works on a Saturday and Sunday. And then I, you know, I had a number from the WA uh, Public Health Department and I said, let me out of quarantine. They're like, oh, yeah, sure. Your, your paperwork is sitting right here. I'll send it off now. And I'm okay, thank you. And so I didn't tell them I was coming home that day. And then, um, like, my auntie and my cousin were sitting at the table with mum because it was mum's birthday. And, um, yeah, I walked in and I was like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, oh, my God, you're home. So, yeah, that, that was really nice. But, no, I didn't cry. No, no tears from anyone, actually. How about it? Like, I'm sure you pictured what that moment was going to be like for such a long time. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was going to be very different, but I mean, the way it worked out, it was, it was, it was still nice. Like as many bumps in the road as that I had, it was still so very nice to be able to finally, finally close the chapter. What's the best thing about being home? Just having access to all the things that I didn't have on board, and you know, being so close to mum and dad, and the cows, and having my feet on the floor, on the ground. Um, and not having to worry about finances and what I couldn't control on the boat compared to what I can control here. It must be so weird, is it? These two, you know, the normal life of, that you've grown up with on the dairy farm and then this weird life that was so unexpected on the boat. How do you kind of reconcile the two experiences that you had? They were very, very different to each other. Um, both this life and the boat life are very big learning, learning experiences and teaches you a lot about yourself and how you work with others. And um, you can't even explain it because I can't even explain how, how I actually felt during the times on the boat or, you know, how every day here is gonna, going to be so... Yeah, one thing is just to take every day as it comes and you, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out and you just got to move on. You know, it's just the appreciativeness for everyone, you know, for coffee, for shampoo, conditioner, toothbrushes, toothpaste, um, vegetables, fresh, fresh fruit, you know, anything that you... It's just more about being grateful for what you have now than what you wish you could have. Now you live in like one of the best spots, I think in Australia, in Western Australia on the, you know, on the South coast near Margaret river. Um, What have you been looking forward to doing there or has it just been home time? Um, It's just been home time for now, but you know, there's so many beautiful wineries and restaurants that I love going to and, um, you know, when we do get a spare five minutes on the farm and my friends have finished their exams, I think we're going to, you know, pop out for a day and, um, you know, go to each of those spots. And I don't mind going for a surf down in Yellinger. So, yeah, once I get a spare five minutes and everyone's and the, and the um, you know, team's running like the machine, um, yeah, I'll be able to go and check out my favourite spots. But for now, it's, I'm happy to just be at home. Well, Talia, I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. I can't believe what you've lived through this year. Congratulations on being home and <laughs> talking with me on the Crazy Hair Podcast, Life on the Land. Thanks, Guy. 
I've closely been following Talia's journey this year and I know a lot of other people have too. I think we all breathed a sigh of relief when she made her way back home. Thank you for tuning in to hear her story too. Life on the Land is an independently produced podcast for the Grazy Her magazine. And guess what? We hit 50,000 downloads last week and we think that's pretty amazing. So thank you so much for receiving our new project with so much enthusiasm. We still have so much goodness to come in the weeks ahead and planning for season three has started. If you want to read more about the wonderful women of the land in Australia, you can subscribe to Grazy Her yourself or buy a subscription for a friend, maybe for Christmas, at grazyher.com.au. Thank you to today's sponsor for this episode, Farm Online, a new startup business based in Walker in New South Wales. We'll be back next week with another episode of Life on the Land.